Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. All right. So as Faith mentioned, this is one weekend for us, and we love that the students get to lead you guys down here in worship. I was saying if anyone would jump down with the students, I figured it might have been Don Wolf, but I don't know if that happened or not. Man, what an awesome weekend. So I want to share with you guys some pictures of the weekend first and then kind of share why we do what we do with one weekend, why we call it that, why we do it. Man, we just had some amazing times of worship led by Porches. So thank you again, Porches, for leading us. Uh, Porches is a great friend of Woodridge. A great friend of our student ministry and, and is coming back. They, we didn't run them off the first time, so we're grateful for them to come back this year. We had silent disco on Friday night, which if you do not know, if you have headphones on, that completely removes inhibitions in dancing. I don't dance at all, but the fact that you can only hear yourself, and at a certain point in time, you remove the headphones, and you hear everyone singing uh, Sweet Caroline really loudly and off tune. That is great. <laughs> so church, your students can sing. It's a noise. It's, it's joyful to them, but I don't know if it sounds great. Uh, it's better than mine, though. Uh, we had some times of recreation right there, that action shot right there, blindfolded dodgeball. That was good. No one got hurt too badly. One possible concussion, but they are here and doing well. Um, we also had some great times of breakout sessions. We, church, we try to, to talk to the students about very tough topics that they want to learn about. They ask tough questions. Your students, are they want to learn. Like, they want to go deep. So we had one on I'm Fine, led by a couple of awesome counselors that are great friends of Woodridge as well. We had some other ones. You can tell some are very interested, and then some noticed our, uh, our photographer on the side there. But we had... The other sessions we had were led by Brandon Reed, who talked about what am I doing with my life, right? A lot of us, maybe some of you adults are asking that question too, but students are like, what am I doing with my life? What am I going to do for a job? What am I doing with college? I have no clue. These students have to like pick a track that they're going into in like eighth grade, right? Isn't that wild? Like they have to kind of decide which route they're going to go. Um, so we did that. We also had one on apologetics led by uh, my little brother, Rory Dunson. And now there's actually three Dunson brothers in this room right now. So I don't know if that's like against... HPD's um, regulations or not, but we'll just roll with it. We had some great times of crafts and other fun times and free time activities, and then we also had some great small group leaders. So Faith already said it, but I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to call it some specific people, specifically our small group leaders. I would ask you that you stand up right now. Small group leaders. If you're a small group leader this weekend, stand up. All right, awesome. Thank you, guys. We had some great leaders. Faith already thanked everyone, but I just want to say another thanks to everyone that helps. We had numerous people who played different roles, did different shifts. We had some people who were point people for us who basically were here just as much as we were um, doing it on a volunteer basis, and it was phenomenal to have them. I'm not going to say their names because they probably like to work behind the scenes. Um, the tech crew uh, back there doing the live stream, everything, lights. Thank you guys so much. Thank you to Pastor Jeremy um, and Zach also for jumping in and speaking this weekend. We are super grateful for you all. And it's not even over. If you might have seen in the parking lot, we have a rock wall, jelly ball, lots of other things, students coming up. Um, but we are excited about that. But why do, we, why do we do one weekend? Thank you for asking. We, we do it because that's Disciple Now, if you did not know. We just rebranded. But the reason why we call it one weekend is threefold. One is because we are one with Christ, right? We are one with Him. If we are in Christ, we are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, 
We are new creations. The old has passed away, the new has come. So we're united with Him. We are also one with each other in fellowship. We don't gather on a Sunday morning to drink excellent coffee out in the atrium or to talk about politics or sports, although inevitably those happen. But we gather because we are united in Christ. He's that one thing that brings us together. Otherwise, it's just a social club. And also, we challenge our students to bring their one to this weekend. Their one is that one person that they've been investing in, that one person that they know, and maybe it's multiple, but at least one, that doesn't know Jesus, that they want to invite to church, that they want to share the gospel with, and they're investing in and they're praying for, and they bring them to this weekend, right? And we tell our students that all the time to bring your friends to church. And church, your students do an amazing job of, so can we just give them a round of applause for all the work that they do, bring their friends. We're super proud of you. So that is one weekend. This theme has been wander, as you see. So if you'd flip over in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, that's where we're going to be this morning. Don't worry, we're not going to read the full chapter, but we'll read certain sections. I'll summarize some, read a little, summarize, and then read some more and go through that. Um, to give you a little recap of what we've been talking about this weekend, Faith preached on uh, Jesus wandering in the desert and how not all wandering is bad. Sometimes God calls us into a season of wandering to rely on Him more. Zach talked, Zach preached on the prodigal son, right? Maybe the, one of the best pictures of wandering out there. And some of us have, all of us have been there at one time or another wandering and then coming back to God, the good father who welcomes him back with open arms. And then Pastor Jeremy spoke on James chapter five and how do you restore people, other brothers and sisters in the faith who are wandering, right? It's good to restore them. How do you do it the right way? Sometimes we, we err on the side of not restoring at all and just saying, well, who am I to judge? No, God calls us to restore others back into the body of Christ. That is a call in our lives. And then we're going to talk about Exodus chapter 32 today. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. We're going to talk about it, and then we'll get going. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 6 say this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Okay, so to give you a little backstory, three months before this, they were coming up out of Egypt. Three months before this, they were saved from bondage in Egypt in miraculous ways. They went through the, the Red Sea on completely dry land. They've been led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire by God. They've had numerous instances where God has acted out in ways that you would think would build their faith. Just 40 days prior to this moment, Moses gives them the law directly from God. And yet now they're going to do this. Now they're going to create this golden calf. Let's continue. They say, as for this Moses, it's almost this sense of contempt right there and derision. They're like, we don't know what's happened with this guy, Moses, uh, but he's been up there 40 days. We think he's dead probably. That's what they're saying right here. So because of that, they want Aaron to make themselves a God to go up for them. Verse 3 says this, verse 2 rather. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. 
And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. These people had just experienced the faith building of walking through the Red Sea. Just experienced a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire leading them out of Egypt. And this is what they're doing. Verse 6 right there implies that they had kind of a drinking party. And then after that, they rose up to play. Implies sexual immorality and promiscuity. You can put whatever phrase you want to that. But it was a drunken orgy is what they engaged in at that point. That's what they were engaging in. Why? How did these people, that's what I asked myself, how did these people have these great faith-building moments and then go to this? And then I'm reminded of my own life, as maybe you are too, and maybe it's different than that, but we all have those moments where God has grown our faith, and then what do we do? I forget what he's done for me, and I go off wandering the other way. I fall into some kind of sin. I forget what he's done for me, and I lose my trust in him, or I get impatient, and I start to do things my own way, as the Israelites do right here. So I don't want us to ask necessarily how or why the Israelites did this, but I want to look at what did they do after this? What was their response to the sin and the wandering that happened? Because they're like us, they're human. They wander, we wander. What should be our response to the wandering? And our response should be a call to repentance. Moses says it this way, later on in the chapter, we're going to get to it. He says, who is on the Lord's side? That's what I want you to think about, that phrase. Who is on the Lord's side? Ask that question. Verses 7 through 18, Moses is up on the mountaintop, and God gives him knowledge of what's going on below. He says, hey, Moses, go down to your people because they're acting a fool. They made a calf. They're worshiping it. They're offering sacrifices to it. They are a stiff-necked people. You need to go down there. I'm going to destroy them. I want to destroy them. And Moses, on behalf of the people, says, God, don't do that. And I want you to remember what Moses says because it kind of comes up in another theme later. Moses says this, God, turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Moses is advocating, saying, God, please don't do this. Don't let your anger burn hot against them. Relent. Give them grace and mercy. And then Moses kind of has a little change of heart right here. He's coming down from the mountain. He sees what's happening. He hears what's happening. And we pick him in verse 19 and 20, which says this. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. <laughs> He's just asking God for it not to happen. And then Moses gets pretty ticked off right there. And this is what he did. He said, he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. God had just given them this law. And Moses is in effect saying to these people, this law you were just given, you have broken it. This law God just gave you have broken it by choosing idolatry instead of Yahweh. It says he then took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Tasty. I don't know about you, but I just, I had a, a food manager certification course that I had to do a few months ago. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'm now a food manager, so it's hard to say that and not sound braggy, but it is what it is. We spent a full day going over the ins and outs of Houston, Harris County, laws and regulations and all this stuff. 
putting gold in water and drinking it never came up, but I'm going to guess that it is not according to code. But I love the seriousness with which Moses took this sin, burned the platform that the golden calf was on, ground it into powder, and made them drink it, completely destroyed it. And we're going to get more into that in just a little bit. So I want you to remember that. Then in verses 21 to 24, Moses goes to Aaron and is like, what did these people do that you have caused them to sin so badly? What did they do? And Aaron tells him, well, you know, I told them to bring me the gold. And then he says, I threw it in the fire and out jumped a calf. Maybe you with kids or I have many Tiffany jokes that we have a lot of kids. We have all the students here. We don't have kids of our own. Um, But maybe you're like, what happened? Your kid makes up this crazy story of why the, I don't know, refrigerator got broken or why that nativity scene in the living room is broken with Joseph. Um, Yeah, that happened in my family when I was growing up. And he makes up the story and says, the calf jumped out of the fire. Moses didn't buy it. There's two things that I think we can learn. There's many things probably, but two things that I want to zero in on, on that we can learn from this passage about how do we respond to sin and wandering in our own life? How do we respond to sin and wandering in our own life? Just like Moses responds on behalf of the Israelites. Number one is repenting, right? Repent. Moses says it this way, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. That's what he says. Moses Moses says, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. In verses 25 to 28, it says this, And Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And everyone gathered around. Nope. It says, And the sons of Levi gathered around him. Not even everyone repented. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on either side of you and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men fell among the people. Wow. He gives them a call to repent and then he as if destroying the calf wasn't enough, anyone who was persisting in that sin, he wiped it out of the camp, wiped out entirely anyone who was remaining in that idolatry and that sexual immorality. That seems pretty a tough route to go, hard to read, but it shows the seriousness with which God treats our sin and our wandering and how much he wants us to eradicate it, put it to death, destroy it. So repenting, who is on the Lord's side? And he says, come to me. He doesn't say, who is on the Lord's side? Raise your hand. He doesn't say, who is on the Lord's side? Um, Just believe this. Believe that you're on the Lord's side. He says, come to me. He calls them to turn away from their old life and to step over to follow Yahweh. You see that picture? That's what repentance is. Repentance is more than knowing what's wrong, but it's choosing to follow Jesus. Turning away, right? A full 180, pursuing him instead. Who is on the Lord's side? So our response, one response to sin and wandering should be repentance. Seems like an obvious one. The second response that I think we get from this passage is to kill sin. To kill sin. That's a pretty stark way of looking at it, to kill sin. Like, okay, I didn't think I'd have a slide that told us to kill something today. But what did Moses do? He got so angry, threw the tablets down, 
burned the platform that the wood was on, ground the calf up into fine pieces, made them drink it, and then eradicated any sense of idolatry and sexual immorality that was persisting still after his call to repentance. Moses killed every bit of sin that was existing in the Israelite camp. What can we pull from that? How can we kill sin? Maybe it's like, okay, that's just Old Testament stuff, right? Surely the New Testament doesn't talk about sin in that way, right? Like killing it, like cutting it off. Colossians 3 verse 5 says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, covetousness, that's a hard word to say, which is idolatry. Put to death, put to death. That's that's just Paul, right? Jesus doesn't say anything about it, does he? Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better to you to lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown in hell. I know it's a tough topic, but do we put sin to death in our life? Or are we so comfortable with it that we just let it exist? And we, we know it's bad and we, we try our best and we kind of put it in a cubby and we're like, I'm not gonna visit that again. But do we put it to death? Do we cut it off? Do we destroy any remnant of it that we can't return? Moses destroyed the calf where no one was gonna try to retrieve that gold after what it had been through. Do we do the same with sin in our life? Do we do the same after our wandering, in our wandering? One of my favorite sermons ever, and you can go listen to this one, um, is, is called Make War by John Piper. He's talking about making war against the flesh, making war against sin. And this is one of his quotes in the sermon. I'm going to read it to you because I, I love the way he says it. Talking about Jesus, he says, He was killed for your sin. You were killed in him. Be killing what he died to kill. I know that's a mouthful, so I'll read it again for you. He was killed for your sin. You were killed in him. Be killing what he died to kill. Jesus took our sin as so serious that he was willing to die for it and saw it as necessary to die for it. We are dead in him, so we should be killing what he died to kill. Do we see it as that seriousness? Do we see it as that? I know sometimes I don't. John Owen says it this way in a book called Mortification of Sin. He says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. There's no middle ground. You can't just let sin exist where you are. It's either killing you or you're killing it. There's no in between. There's no lukewarmness. You're killing sin or it is killing you. So many of us are so comfortable with sin just existing. I think until we hate sin as much as God hates sin, we will continue to keep it at an arm's reach rather than completely annihilating it, utterly destroying it. So how do we kill sin? There's three different ways that I think we can kill sin. Probably a lot of different ways, but number one, the main way I think is to pursue God. To pursue God, you wanna kill sin? Pursue God, why? Because the more you know him, the more you get a glimpse of who Jesus is, the more you'll see his perfection and his holiness and how he's set apart from us. And you will see, okay, I wanna get rid of, I wanna look like him. I wanna imitate Christ. Pursue God and you will worship him. The more we know God, that leads us to worship him. Pursuing God. Another way is to confess sin. You're like, okay, Red, I've read 1 John 1, 9. 
Uh, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. We probably do that when we have sin in our lives. Hopefully you do. If not, you'll have an opportunity at the end of service to confess sin through prayer. Confessing to God is an important part of killing sin, making it known. God knows it, but bringing it to him, bringing that fellowship back. Because when we sin, that fellowship with God is broken. We are still justified in Christ if we're in him, but that immediate fellowship is broken until we bring that to God and say, God, I messed up. I'm giving this to you. But the second aspect of confession, I don't think we do all too often, maybe at all in your life, but it's confessing it to others. You're like, okay, that's, that's scary. <laughs> confessing sin to others. James 5.16 says it this way. Confess your sins, therefore, to one another and pray for one another. For the prayers of a righteous person are very powerful as they are working. You want sin in your life to be destroyed? Confess it to God and confess it to others. Pursue God. You want sin in your life to be destroyed? Tell your buddy about it. They may think it's weird at first. <laughs> Tell your brother or sister in Christ about the sin you're dealing with. If you really want it to come to light, you really want to destroy it, until then it just shows that you're comfortable with it existing. Tell someone about it. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and they, they bring it up and I, I remind them, I'm like, how are you doing in this aspect of your life? How are you doing in that aspect of your life? Sin thrives where darkness is, right? If we want to kill sin, we need to bring light to it, if we're really serious about it and we see it as it really is. Confess sin to God, confess sin to others. And the third thing I think is just a practical step is to make a plan. To make a plan. If you, if you never decide what you're going to do before you get in a circumstance, you shouldn't be surprised when you fail. Students, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're like, man, we always fall into sin. We always fall into sin. Why? Because you're probably hanging out in your room alone upstairs watching Netflix with no parents around. We shouldn't be surprised when we fall into that. Make a plan before. Decide. Set boundaries. Say, I'm not going to be in that situation to even tempt myself with it. Adults as well. <laughs> Any kind of extramarital sexual relations is sin. Maybe you decide before you even get in a circumstance that I'm not going to fall into gossip and slander this time. I'm going to remove myself. I'm going to cut off those people that I'm hanging out with because it, I don't have the self-control to say no. Or maybe I'm not even going into that bar or into that party because I know I cannot not get drunk. You're like, I know I can't control myself. I'm going to ruin myself from that situation. Have a plan before you go into it. And as we're ending our time of worship here, I want to, we like to end in prayer. We like to end in worship. We're going to have a time of response. Maybe your response is you've been wandering your whole life. You've never chosen to follow Christ. You've never received him. I'm glad you're here. This is an awesome place to be for you. Maybe you've pursued so many things and you're like, I, I've searched for identity and work and relationships and money and all these different things and they leave me feeling empty in the end. Augustine says it this way, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. So you're feeling restless? Maybe it's because you've never put your hope and security and your identity in the only thing that can satisfy you. You can choose to follow Christ today if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead. Scripture says you will be saved. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.